You're listening to Sex Gets Real with Dawn Sarah. That's me. This is a place where we explore sex, bodies, and relationships from a place of curiosity and inclusion, tying the personal to the cultural, where you're just as likely to hear tender questions about shame and the complexities of love as you are to hear experts challenging the dominant stories around pleasure, body politics, and liberation. This is about the big and the small, about sex and everything surrounding it we don't usually name. The funny, the awkward, the imperfect happen here in service to joy, connection, healing, and creating healthier relationships with ourselves and each other. So welcome to Sex Gets Real. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Sex Gets Real. Dawn here with this week's interview with the incredible Mkali Hashiki. Mkali Hashiki spoke at this year's summit and does all kinds of awesome work around the erotic. And I am so excited to share this conversation with you. Before we dive in, I want to remind you there's just a little teeny bit of time left to enroll in my Power in Pleasure course. If you would like to join me and about a dozen other people as we spend five weeks really exploring our pleasure and our stories, changing the ways that we interact with body, hunger, appetites, desire, then you will want to check out this course. I am ridiculously excited about it. It's I think pretty affordable considering how much work is going into it. You're going to get daily emails. Uh, There's weekly group calls so that there's a community aspect to it. And we're going to really dive into all of the things that make pleasure complicated for us, that open us up to interacting with pleasure in new ways. And that way you can reconnect with your hunger, your desire, and your joy to have a more rich delicious experience of life and body. So if you want to learn about that and potentially join me, it starts April 22nd, 2019, which is sadly right around the corner, uh, then you can go to dawnsarah.com slash pleasure course. I would love to have some listeners in there with all of us as we explore pleasure and how that connects us with our power. I also want to let you know, if you support the show on Patreon, first off, thank you so much. Every dollar matters. $3 a month and above gets you access to exclusive weekly bonus content that you can't hear or find anywhere else, which is a steal because it's like 75 cents a week. And this week, I'm Kali Hashiki and I talk about life-affirming, body-affirming, emotionally-affirming sex with a partner what it is, how you know whether or not that's what you're experiencing, and some of the ways that we can access that kind of sex if we're not doing it with our partner. So if you want to hear that, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast. And if you're already supporting the show, then it'll be in the bonus content that you can access. If you aren't yet supporting the show, you can pledge $3 a month to get those bonus content weeks. You can pledge $5 a month and then also help me field listener questions. So check that out and thank you so much for your support. 
I'm also hungry for your questions. I have an episode coming up next week with some of your questions and then a couple of interviews. I'm working on actually a four-part interview series that I'm super excited about that'll air later in May. And in the meantime, I want to get lots of your questions on the air. So if you want to email me, you can do that by going to sexgetsreal.com and using the send a note feature. Or you can email me at info at sexgetsreal.com. That's the email address for the show, info at sexgetsreal.com. So you can send me your questions and I might feature them on the show. Let me tell you just a little bit about Mkali Hashiki, and then we're going to roll around in the erotic and healing our erotic wounds and safety and all kinds of deliciousness. Mkali Hashiki is a renegade sexual mystic, a tour guide to the realm of Eros, and a teacher of somatic erotic possibilities. She holds certifications in sexological bodywork, sound, voice, and music healing, and tantric sacred intimacy. A published essayist, a former professional social justice organizer, and an IFA devotee, she believes the sexual and the spiritual are irrevocably intertwined. Her politics, spirituality, and lived experience as a queer, feminist, polyamorous, middle-aged, fat, kinky, black femme dyke trauma survivor inform all aspects of her work. She's the author of the popular ebook Turn Your Junk into Treasure, Five Steps to Deepening Your Relationship with Your Nethers. She offers individual sessions and transformational group journeys, helping um, queer, trans, indigenous people of color and allied folk access to their erotic energy for radical transformation fuel. She also offers N-Static Breathwork for collaboration and employee wellness to companies and social justice nonprofits. If you're curious about N-Static instead of X-Static, she talked all about that at the summit this year. Totally recommend checking it out. Anyway, as you can hear, Mkali Hashiki does all kinds of incredible things around Eros, the erotic, ritual, sexual, sensual spaces. And she has a lot of incredible wisdom to bring to the show. So here is my conversation with Mkali Hashiki. Welcome to Sex Gets Real, Mkali Hashiki. I'm so excited to get another chance to talk to you. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be so fun. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You do some awesome work in the world. You, you do all kinds of work around erotic breath work and ritual and presence. Yeah. Like for people who aren't familiar with you, what's kind of the, the intro pitch that you, you share with folks to let them know who you are and what you do? Um, I help folks uh, heal their erotic wounds by accessing their uh, erotic energy so that they can um, use that for whatever sort of transformative fuel they want to. And when you think about erotic wounds, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that, like if someone hears that and they're like, ooh, do I have that? Mm -hmm. What are some indicators that you might be carrying a, an erotic wound that might need some tending? Well, first of all, I think, um, it's important to note that when I'm saying erotic wound, I don't, I'm using the term erotic not as a euphemism for sexual. So it can include sexual wounds like 
any type of sexual trauma, um, any sort of uh, any sort of trauma that has had a negative impact on your relationship with your body and your sense of self. So it doesn't only have to be sexual trauma. It could also be um, um, trauma from some sort of accident. It could also be um, uh, the ways in which religion and spirituality um, often, not spirituality, traditional religion, um, often impacts our uh, relationship with our body and our relationship with our sexuality. Um, it could be um, trauma that you're carrying from your ancestors. So sometimes folks will come to me with uh, what what they'll say is that I teach medical students um, how to do uh, uh, pelvic exams. And in the interview, we talk about presenting complaints. So somebody might come with me with what they think is their main thing, but there's a lot of stuff underneath that, that, that contributes to that erotic wound. For example, I know I had this uh, client once, it was, very, it was the first time it had happened to me. She came in, um, uh, she said that she, want, that she was um, actually not having sex with anyone at that time, not interested in having sex with anyone at that time, um, but really felt like, she she had a theoretical understanding of energy and spiritual energy coursing through her you know being able to feel that but she didn't actually know what that meant or what that felt like and then as we started talking more it came up that there was like a lot of ancestor work that she needed to be doing so um that being being separate from our ancestors and not not having that strong relationship and being implicitly or explicitly told by society that that's like nonsense is also a type of erotic wound. So, mm. um, you know, the, when I speak of Eros, I'm talking about the soul and the spirit. So any sort of, uh, any sort of wound to the spirit or wound to the body and the relationship between self and body and self and spirit, those are all erotic I had this really wonderful conversation with Leon Archia on the show a few months ago. And one of the things that we were talking about was seeing the erotic as this source beyond ourselves that was something that we could um, like sip from to experience um, life force and pleasure and that mm -hmm. it was something that was, you know, like beyond our bodies. Mm -hmm. and something that we could really tap into. And what is your experience of connecting with the erotic and how that heals us? Um, well, yes, the erotic is something beyond self. Um, you know, it's, it, and it's got different names that, that are all for the same thing. Like when we talk about our creative energy, that's our erotic energy. When we talk about, um, being grounded and anchored that's also our erotic energy it it depends on what we mean by heal yeah and um i uh i'm using this definition from betty martin uh possibly paraphrase but that healing is gaining access to more of ourselves or or the way i would say it is regaining access to parts of ourselves that may have been cut off from uh, that we may have been cut off from for because of trauma so 
um, being able to access the erotic energy that flows through our bodies that connects us with other people um, helps us to gain access or regain access to those parts of ourselves that um, we didn't have access to because of trauma. And how that healing actually works is very, very individualized. But um, one of the ways that I think it uh, can be most profound is, you know, people talk a lot about, um, you know, your body is sacred, your body is special. Um, and, and to me, that includes uh, your pleasure zones. Like if, if your body is sacred, then that includes all of the body and all of the things that the body is capable of. So I could tell someone on and on and on, you know, like you are a sacred being, um, the universe uh, loves you, thinks you're special, but it's really different when you get to experience that in your own body. And so the sort of main quote unquote modality that I use of erotic trance is about using the breath and touch to help people actually have that experience of my body is a sacred instrument. My pleasure comes from the divine. Um, and when you have that experience, it goes along. Like if you read about my body is sacred or you people tell you your body is sacred, it's, that doesn't always help to come to combat the sort of messages that we get about our bodies, especially those of us who live in bodies that are multiply marginalized by the state, uh, fat folks, uh, non-binary folks, queer folks, people of color, et cetera. <clears throat> and there are a lot of images that are images and messages that we are bombarded with 24 seven about how our bodies are the very opposite of sacred and special. And so um, being able to experience that personally can go a long way to being able to ignore or reframe uh, those messages and those images. Mm. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, I would really like to try and cultivate an experience of my body as sacred. Mm -hmm. What are some things that people can do to try and experiment with that? I think um, starting with the breath, it's always about the breath. Um, st starting with trying some different kinds of breathing techniques. I mean, the the breath work that i teach is only one type of breathing there's there's all types of breathing the important thing is to use the breath to stay in your body and then to um try to use the breath to be in your body perhaps differently than you're used to during times of um uh, sexual arousal excuse me so that can be um, doing breath work while masturbating that could be um, slowing the breath down and being really focused on the breath during sex with a partner. Um, it could be uh, holding your genitalia with a loving touch, not doing, not not necessarily masturbating, not doing anything, but just holding it the way you would hold, you know, a newborn baby or your your niece or nephew or or, or your child. 
holding it with that kind of loving intention and just sort of sitting with whatever comes up. Oftentimes a lot of um, negative stuff will come up and then still using the breath to get to the other side of that and then see what kind of uh, messages, what kind of feelings um, are generated by you just holding your genitalia with loving, caring, nurturing mm. touch. Hmm. As you say that, it really makes me think about how rarely I think so many of us actually touch our genitals in that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like the ways we usually interact with them are to clean them or for like sexual purposes, but Mm -hmm. not to just love and care and nurture and hold and be with mm-hmm. and that that feels really special to think about when you say that and and also i'm thinking uh one of the ways that some of us another way that some of us uh in, engage with our genitalia um which is not can not always be pleasant i'm thinking about menstruation right mm-hmm. so you may i i use um the, they keep changing the names of what these things are. Menstrual discs, uh, for example. So I'm, I'm during my period, I'm engaging with my genitalia a lot, but it's not usually in a, you know, I've got cramps or um, I'm hating the world or, <laughs> um, you know, like it's not, I'm not always, I, I end up, one of the things I like actually about the menstrual disc is that I have to be more engaged uh, with my genitalia uh, during uh, my menstrual cycle, but it's not always, not always a happy feeling. So other than sex and all, uh, all of us are not having great life affirming, body affirming, um, emotionally affirming sex, but other than sex, once we get to be adults, there's not a lot of other touch on our genitalia you know, other than uh, hygiene and sex. That's it. That's it. Uh, And and then going to the doctor, which is, you know, never fun. So even just, you know, cupping it for uh, the the space of a few breaths in the morning. And that's actually one of the things that I, one of the exercises that I give to clients a lot is um, every day holding holding your genitalia with one hand and then having your hand on your, your heart portal and then just doing 10 breaths. Just to sort of slow everything down and either send energy from your heart, send love energy into your genitalia, or maybe you wanna, you, you, you got it going on in your genitalia and you wanna kind of take some of that energy and, um, bring it up into the rest of the body Mm, yeah what a simple practice but it also to hear it the ritual of that and like intentionally touching yourself with loving caring nurturing touch Mm -hmm. that feels so important like I'm just like hearing you talk about it makes me go like I know what I'm going to be doing the next few mornings yeah (laughs) to start off your day like remembering remembering that you know this 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 flesh vessel this this sort of mechanical wonder 
um, is in my one of my uh, other sayings is that we are all minute manifestations of the divine. So remembering that this mechanical wonder, wonder, this flesh machine, also um, carries a bit of the divine in it, and and that include like it's not. And this is one of the things that I always get so head up about, like. You can't say if you you know are part of a traditional religion. You can't say like, oh, this body was created in God's image, except for the part between my legs. Like that just doesn't make any sense. It yeah. includes the genitalia, and it includes the pleasure that can be found in that genitalia. And so, reminding yourself with some touch, making sure that it's that it's not sort of like, um, uh. Uh, unconscious sort of absent-minded touch although that could have some effect too I actually am one of those people where I had to train myself out of like you know if I'm like sitting and in a at the bus stop you know I didn't used to have my hand in my pants but I would often have my hands uh cupping my genitalia I did hold my breasts under my shirt a lot sort of subconsciously and um and and it was very comforting to me and then when I caught myself doing it in front of my my father-in-law during Christmas dinner, <laughs> I was like, "Okay, we can't be doing this all the time." And so I had to I had to train myself out of it. But um, there's something very comforting about holding your own flesh, where wherever that is, as long as you're like, you know, this this wonderful, not like uh. Mm -hmm. I'm holding, ooh, my, my arm is hairy and I'm trying to cover up the hair or, you know, I'm, I'm in, of course you can't see me, but I'm doing this. I have, um, I have burn scars on my left hand and, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm holding my right hand over my left hand and I'm doing it from a way of, I'm trying to hide the scars from the, the view of the world, that's very different than let me love up this hand that I often might have bad thoughts about or other people are staring at. Let me give it some love. Those are two very different intentions and they carry different energy with them and your body gets a different message. Yeah. I love the, the invitation to be present and mindful if that's available to you and also like if that's not available to you touching yourself with a loving nurturing touch even if you're kind of not present like that's still something mm -hmm. it's still that's something still something it's still yeah. something and and oftentimes folks who are doing that unconsciously it is a form of comfort that they're you know that they're doing yeah something else that i think is is so challenging for so many of us. And I know I've had a number of people write into the show over the years around this, and we've talked about it is we live in a culture that prizes busyness, productivity, mm -hmm. rushing, achieving the goals, and kind of doing whatever you have to to get to that end point. Mm -hmm. And so much of the work you do around erotic breath work and ritual and healing is about presence and slowing down. Mm -hmm. And that can be so uncomfortable for us. You know, even for me, and I try to practice this pretty regularly, there are certain days when slowing down is actively agitating. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so for for you and all of the work that you've done, what are some of the things that you've found help to create spaces where we can slow down or have a little bit more presence if we're someone that rushes and kind of isn't present a lot? I think sometimes um, it can be helpful to try to do things in community and whether that community is like a community of two or whether, you know, maybe it's just you and your good buddy and you're going to hang out and take things slow. or just be in each other's presence, or whether that's an event that you pay for that you go to that is about creating um, uh, creating the space to be slow, to be present. Um, I don't think that we can necessarily always do it on our own. And also I think it's important that if we are doing it on our own and we're having, you know, okay, so I'm gonna, every day, you know, I meditate or whatever, um, before I go to work. And one day, you know, tomorrow, I can't sit still, like, I can't concentrate, I'm agitated, either because I'm just too focused on the, the stressors that I know are going to happen that day, or because sitting still um, uh, makes it harder to ignore that I'm unhappy. Right. Or that the, my current situation is not supportive to me. And so when I when I slow down, it's harder to escape from that, that truth, that it's also important to be generous with ourselves. Right. So if I if I can't be present or I can't really slow down or the slowing down makes me agitated, just be like, that's OK for this time, for, you know, for right now, that's OK. I haven't done anything wrong. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm a failure at meditating. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, I should never try it again. Just like this moment, this day, this this doesn't feel good to me. And so I'm not going to do it. Or I'm going to, you know, do it uh, for a shorter period of time, et cetera, et cetera. That's okay. Yeah. Imagine having an unapologetic relationship with your pleasure, being able to say, yes, I want that, and to know you're worthy of the wanting. If you're anything like me and so many of the people I work with, somewhere along the way, you were taught to distrust your hunger cues, to deny or to feel shame around your desire, to ignore or contain the things that make you feel good, to feel like you had to earn your right to pleasure. And it's not your fault that your body and your pleasure feel foreign, complicated, and distant. It's a feature, not a bug, of the culture we live in. That's why I created Power and Pleasure, Reconnecting with Your Hunger, Desire, and Joy, an online five-week course and community to help you discover, befriend, and prioritize your pleasure and your body. Because you deserve pleasure joy, desire, hunger, satisfaction, and presence. You deserve to savor and feast on your life, the foods you eat, and the way you exist in your body. Because the problem is not you. The problem is not your body. The problem is a culture that taught you to distrust your desires and to look outside yourself for answers. 
So let's join together in this gentle exploration of pleasure and what it means to you, plus the stories that you carry that may not be yours to carry. If you want to learn more about my online course that's launching in just a few weeks, go to dawnsarah.com slash pleasure course. There's a link in the show notes. Join me. Your pleasure matters. And thinking about that, you said this really wonderful thing before we started recording that I'd love to pull in here because Mm -hmm. so many threads of what you've already shared kind of relate to this around so much of the work you do is around healing erotic wounds and often rushing is one of the ways that we're surviving and Mm -hmm. leaving ourselves. And Mm -hmm. then this this invitation to be really generous and kind like maybe slowing down and being present is hard because it's hard Mm -hmm. and you were talking about you know so often we talk about safety without really thinking about who has access to it and who doesn't Mm -hmm. and you mentioned relative safety as something that you've kind of been circling and chewing on for a while and i'd love to hear a little bit more about relative safety and who gets to be safe and who doesn't well you know uh it sort of came about in in uh, many ways so you know i've always been sort of um you know in the nonprofit social justice uh, kind of arenas what have you and there's a lot of talk of safe space right like oh this is a safe space and it's like in in larger group settings safe space for who who gets to have access to that safe space and who who's whose safe space comes at the expense of someone else's safe space Mm. so there's that piece and then there's also the piece of um i was working with a client um a fat black woman who was a survivor of um some sort of sexual trauma and was wanting to you know was recognizing how um how her hyper vigilance was interfering with her ability to get close to people right specifically lovers but all kinds of people And so um, we started doing this thing around, you know, letting the body know that it was, that 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 time, that that experience wasn't happening now. That the body did not have to be on vigil, on, 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 you know, uh, sentry duty against that kind of violence because the the body is not in that situation any longer. And, um, you know, we first start with thanking the body for doing what it did to, get us through that experience and then now it's sort of like hey we're we're not there any, that that sort of sense of duty is not necessary and so i was using the term safe and then at some point i was like wait a minute like in this current society in this country and, and actually in some places in the world because anti-blackness is global but in this country in particularly once you leave your house as, and I'm speaking also as a fat black woman, um, there is no safe space. There is no place where my body 
you know, if I if I if I'm just going about my day doing my regular uh, activities, there's not necessarily any space outside in the world in which my body, my psyche, is safe. So then it becomes if I'm telling my if I'm trying to tell my body that it's safe, my body's like, what are you talking you What are you talking about? I can't. I can't. The body then says, I can't depend on. I can't trust you to know what's safe and what's not safe because you're clearly lying to me right now. This is not, we're, we're never safe and you're trying to tell me we're safe. So then the question is how do we um, <clears throat> find places of relative safety? How do we create spaces of relative safety? And again, what does relative safety mean? Do I expect to be um, demonized? physically assaulted, shamed, mocked for any of my um, identities. That's not safe, right? That's clearly not safe. Can I find a space where, so I'm a queer, fat, black woman, I'm counting on my fingers, <laughs> a burn survivor. So let's say we're gonna take these five identities. Um, my my burns are actually visible. Whether or not people can see them and are paying attention is another question. But my my burns are on visible parts of my body. So let's say um, definitely closer to the accident, I was more I was definitely more aware of uh, my burns, and it felt like more people were would stare at me and felt completely comfortable to say shit to me about mm -hmm. my burns. So. So then I discover a community of burn survivors, right? So I can go to these events, I can go to these conferences and know that that identity, I'm going to that identity I'm going to be safe in those spaces. But if those spaces have not dealt with their homophobia, their transphobia, their um racism and their understanding of white privilege, which let me tell you they have not, um then there's a way that I'm still not safe. I've got some relative safety because in this one this one part of my identity's burn survivor place, I know no one's gonna point at me or mock me or make me feel bad or tap me on the shoulder in the airplane and say, hey, something happened to you. That must've been a hard part of your life, which just happened on my last flight. Um, I know that nobody's gonna do that, but I I'm still kind of, not completely relaxed. I'm still a little bit on guard because I know that the likelihood of <clears throat> some sort of microaggression around race or gender or sexuality is likely to happen. So I'm in a place of relative safety, but I'm not still completely safe. So I don't tell my, I can't say to myself that that is a safe space. And a lot of times the folks in, in that, those, at those events will say, oh, you know, this is a safe space. And it's usually like white men. And this is a safe <laughs> space for people. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, for you maybe, but not necessarily for me. So the question then is how do we try to create little oases of, of safety? And can we, um, uh, so we have our little oasis of safety and then can we broaden those oasis to make them larger? When I leave here uh, later on today, I'm going to um, 
a book club that uh, all black folks, um, mostly queer, not all queer, but all black folks. And so instead of us, you know, and, and, and I never read the books, I, I don't go there for the books. I go there <laughs> for the, the, the camaraderie and the safety of being in a large space with other queer, mostly queer black folks. So it's a, a, a broader place of safety. Um, and because, and we, we're gonna go back to my, the five pieces that I just talked about. So there's lots of women, uh, everyone's black. There are other fat folks there. Um, I can't remember what the other, other oh, lots of queer folks. No one else is, as far as I know, is a burn survivor, but because so many of the other of my identities feel safe there, I don't have to, you know, be vigilant about thinking that I'm unsafe uh, as a burn survivor there. Also, you know, because I know these folks and have known them for a while, but so I, and I make time for that. I don't make time to read the book, but I make time to go <laughs> to there because I know that that is a place of safety and a place where I get to do some healing, i.e. regain access to parts of myself that I can sort of drop my guard a little bit. Um, there's this, this, I forgot the actual quote, but there's definitely this sense that the more sites of marginalization that uh, your body occupies, um, the often the, the, harder or the more intense your armor your guard and so your body is carrying this immense amount of tension because you're on guard all the time and um that tension is exhausting and a lot of times it's so un so unconscious um that then we wonder why are we fucking tired all the time so making spaces where i can drop some of that guard and just breathe easy more easily um, those are places of safety, of relative safety. And, uh, and then the other thing I want to say about places of relative safety, for some folks, the community that they can find on the internet, even though it's not, you know, in, in flesh space, is safer, uh, relatively safer than the places in real time, in real, in, in real space, it's all real space. In, in meat space, as they say, um, that they can find. So sometimes it's about having a, an internet community. You know, it's not always about um, you have to be in the in in meat space with folks. Yeah. Something that really strikes me as you sh share all of that was specifically when you said often it's white men that will say this is a safe space mm -hmm. and your experiences like for you maybe right and i think that's such an important thing to name even in our most intimate relationships the way you and i experience the world and thus experience safety for multiple reasons is going to be different so mm -hmm. i might be the person that's got some more privilege and some more ease in moving through the world. And I feel safe in our relationship. And so I assume you do too. Mm -hmm. And I think that can often be this unnamed 
unspoken nebulous place of disconnect and even a little bit of um, like anxiety or resentment of, you know, if the person who's moving through the world feeling more traumatized or is actually being more oppressed by the state because of their body, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a different feeling of safety when I come into relationship with you. And I think that's so important that we can't assume that how safe we feel inside of any given relationship is how safe other people feel. Exactly. And I think that's, that's something that, that uh, folks who often have more privilege, whether that's gender privilege or cis privilege or racial, racial, you know, white privilege or class privilege, that's something that they often don't want to think about. And, and will you know because they wish some and sometimes it comes from a really a place of you know a place of caring and love like if i if i want that i want my loved one to be safe and so if i just pretend like it's safe for them um and make sure that i'm you know always thinking of, of, of thinking of their uh, best interest then that means that they're safe in this relationship and that's not necessarily true or they could be safe in the relationship but that still doesn't that doesn't um negate the lack of safety they have um even being with you and being out in the world yeah that's that's kind of what i'm thinking about like even if i feel relatively safe in this particular relationship with this particular person but in my day i moved through the world and felt unsafe a number of times maybe i was catcalled. maybe somebody called me a really derogatory name maybe you know the sexist thing happened at work again when i come back home to that relationship even though there's a general sense of safety i have felt unsafe all day mm-hmm And so that can even change those dynamics of like, now if you're asking me for sex or you're being playful, but Mm -hmm. I've got all that armor that's been exhausting me all day, Mm -hmm. the way I'm showing up is going to be, it's going to impact us. And leaving space for that, I think is really important. Yes. And being aware of that, figuring out how to move past that. Um, And sometimes the the person who is the... um, sort of recipient of, or recipient, is that what I want to say? Somehow the, sometimes the person that is experiencing that lack of safety in the world, you know, they want this relationship to be th- that, that, that oasis for them, that place of calm. And so sometimes they don't want to acknowledge I'm feeling, you know, all this shit that I just brought, that I experienced in the world today is still with me as I enter the home or as we like hang out or whatever. And, um, and I don't want it to be because I want I want to I want to be in this relationship and you know take all that other take all that other stuff away. I'm investing in this relationship uh, because I hope it will make up for the lack of safety I feel uh, in the rest of the world. And that uh, is also not the best. That's not going to be the best for the relationship. So both folks have to be cognizant of and acknowledge the um the difference in access to safety and and what that means for when we are together when we are sharing space whether that's meet space or we're like talking on the phone like how we how we've been unsafe in our daily life that day that week that month 
will affect how present we can be in the relationship, will affect um, what we need, what we're looking for uh, from in that relationship. And so all part, I was gonna say both, but it could be all, all parties need to um, acknowledge and uh, take that into consideration. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that is something that's so invisible Mm -hmm. and that so few of us have the language for, but that is actively impacting every relationship that we're in, that being able to kind of give some language and help to reveal that a little bit, I think will be really profound for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I definitely think that's, uh, and sometimes, you know, you, you can't necessarily navigate that on your own. I, I have a friend who's, um, who does couples therapy and that's one of the things that she, you know, like she calls that out for folks, mm-hmm. um, and, and helps them to together figure out how they're going to navigate those different levels of privilege in their relationship. And, and maybe the fact that, um, one person has not, you know, one person with privilege has not been acknowledging how, how, how they, you know, um, the privilege that they're used to experiencing in the world. And then they, they think that they should be experiencing that same level of privilege at their partner's expense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is not necessarily something you can always sort of navigate, uh, on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. I feel like I'm going to be thinking about that for weeks. <laughs> um, <laughs> so kind of coming back to the erotic, I think a lot of people, as you said at the beginning, and you have these beautiful definitions for like erotic, sexual, and sensual. I think culturally we tend to code anything erotic as explicitly sexual. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people connecting to the erotic is really foreign and where they're doing it and they don't even realize that they are because mm-hmm. it's not explicitly sexual mm-hmm. for you. What does it mean to be like connected to and channeling the erotic? Like how do you show up in your life, in your interactions, in your pleasure when you have that like strong connection to the erotic as a source? When I am connected to arrows when I feel like, oh, my erotic energy is running strong through my body. Um, there's nothing blocking it. I, number one, I just have more energy for life. I, I don't get as, um, um, I don't feel as drained as often um, to me. I find a lot of things, you know, I see the humor in a lot of things when I'm connected, when I'm strongly connected to arrows. I feel like I'm more generous with uh, my own feelings and when the people I love um, let me down, which, you know, people that you love will will always let you down and you will let down people that you love. So I feel like when I'm, when I'm strongly connected to Eros, I'm more generous and forgiving of myself and others. when I'm connected to Eros, it's easier for me to say no to the things that are gonna harsh my mellow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like that's not gonna sustain my joyous feeling. That's gonna, you know, uh, 
that's going to take a lot of uh, energy to, to sustain. So I'm going to say no. Um, and then of course, if I am having sex and I'm connected to Eros and I'm having sex with someone who I feel good about and who I feel safe with, then the sex is better. Uh, but that's kind of the, that's like way down on the list of, uh, of benefits of being uh, connected to uh, your erotic energy. Like good sex is way down the list. Like a better sense of self. I, I like myself more, you know, when I'm, when I'm uh, connected to, uh, strongly connected to, to my erotic energy, I'm less likely to focus on the parts of me that I consider flaws. When I'm connected to my, like they don't necessarily disappear. My burn scars don't go anywhere. Um, but I, I'm less likely, I'm able to do a reframe, for example. So yeah, if I'm, if I'm um, really connected to arrows, I'm more, my, um, my left arm is, uh, the entirety of it is visibly scarred. I'm more likely to wear short sleeves and sleeveless tops and like not be hunched over when I'm doing it, right? Cause mm -hmm. I'm like, instead of thinking, oh, these are ugly pieces of my skin, I'm more likely to think these are the symbols that I'm a fucking badass and was able to survive some shit that other people, you know, were not able to survive. So I'm more likely to see them as badges of courage and badassery than as um, scars or something that takes away from, um, my uh, gorgeousness. Yeah. Um, so the question, then one of the challenges is how do I remain connected to my erotic energy? And when I can tell that I'm depleted or I can tell that I've, I'm feeling like a, an obstacle, something blocking it, how do I rectify that? And that, that can be challenging. It's yeah. about figuring out what, do you know the things that make you feel uh, replenished? And, and maybe that language, maybe the language is foreign to you, the idea of like replenishing your erotic energy. Ah, what does that mean? But what are the things that you can do that make you feel good in your body or yeah. make you feel comfortable in the world? Maybe you need to like go to the park and like watch some dogs play. Uh, maybe you need to go swimming maybe you need to go to the club and like dance uh maybe you need to put on some music and dance at home maybe something about dancing makes you feel more at home in your body if you if you have the resources for it maybe you need a massage maybe you need to go have a massage or if you can't pay somebody else to do a massage maybe you and a buddy can give each other massages or paint each other's toenails or something that makes you feel good about yourself um making the space for that that just feels so expansive and like so much of everything you're naming is about being connected to the erotic allows you to be more grounded in like worth agency perspective mm -hmm. generosity mm -hmm. connection to others i mean there's so much richness in that and i love how you're saying like better sex is great but it's pretty low down on the list of all the other things that i get that mm -hmm. impact every aspect of your life mm -hmm. yeah Woo. 
I know it's so big. It's so big and so exciting. Um, <laughs> so you said something earlier, and I would love for us to pop over to Patreon in a minute and talk about um, exploring this concept of life affirming, body affirming, emotionally affirming sex with a partner. Because mm. I think a lot of people are going to be really curious about that. But before we do that, can you share with everyone listening how they can stay in touch with you and find you online? Well, my website is fiercepassions.com, F-I-E-R-C-E-P-A-S-S-I-O-N-S. The translation of Mkali Hashiki is Fierce Passions, but somebody already had that URL. So uh, fiercepassions.com. I got a Facebook page, Fierce Passions, and uh, Twitter, which I go through cycles with Twitter right now. I'm not really that involved with my Twitter. and I have an IG account, fierce underscore passions. Um, and I'm spending a lot of, I'm, I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning Instagram. So I'm spending a, a lot more time there. Um, I do blog posts on my uh, website about some of these issues about, you know, reclaiming the self after trauma or, you know, how is spirituality involved in erotic healing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, uh, on the website, if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get information about, uh, webinars and in-person events. So I'm based in Oakland and I spend half the year here and half the year in Belize. Um, and so the, uh, the in-person events are fewer and further between, but there are a lot of, uh, cyber courses as I'm calling them, lots of online stuff happening. So that's how you can find me. Awesome. Well, I will have all of those links so you can easily click through in the show notes for the episode. And of course, at sexgetsreal.com. If you have questions or comments, feel free to head to sexgetsreal.com and send me a note. I love featuring your voices on the show. If you support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash sgrpodcast, you can pop over there and hear the bonus chat that Mkali Hashiki and I are about to have. And until next time, I'm Dawn Sarah. Bye. You used to light up like a spark. Now you're blue. Treading water in the dark. A huge thanks to the vocal few, the married duo behind the music featured in this week's intro and outro. Find them at vocalfew.com. Head to patreon.com slash sex gets real to support the show and get awesome weekly bonuses. As you look towards the next week, I wonder, what will you do differently that rewrites an old story? revitalizes a stuck relationship or helps you to connect more deeply with your pleasure so don't be ashamed love is supposed to be the thing